This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming out. We appreciate having you here. It's a beautiful fall day. You could be taking a walk in the crisp, beautiful, cold air, and instead you're here to learn some Torah. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for being soldiers in the JDF, the Jewish Defense Forces. Every bit of learning, every bit of Torah, every bit of Psalms that we do is there for the Jewish people. We're not doing anything for ourselves these days. We're doing it for all of Am Yisrael. So thank you for coming out. I also want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshua Bethlehem Hood and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful Lunch and Learn. And I want to thank the amazing uh, folks over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's filled with over a quarter of a million classes on Torah content. I'm sure at least 10 or 15 of them We'll meet your liking. Go on over to TorahAnytime.com. Find something that you like. If you enjoy these classes and you find them on Torah Anytime, please feel free to follow uh, my classes as we all get notification or share them with a friend. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. We are now in Parshas Noach. The story, that the, the Parsha that tells the story of the Great Flood. The Great Flood. Now, of course, wildly, we have the word Hamas in this week's Torah portion, being used in a not-too-positive kind way. So this, this week's Parsha starts off by introducing that Noach was a righteous man. And Hashem says to Noach, I am done with humanity. I've just had enough with humans. Because the world is filled with Hamas and Hamas sympathizers. Now, of course... It did not mean the terrorist group, which is not coincidentally named Hamas, because there are no coincidences. But the word Hamas over here in this week's Torah portion means not the rampant immorality that occurred during that time, which it did, and not the wanton murder, not the, all the adultery, the infidelity, the, the, the sexualization uh, to an extreme degree that the Torah describes, but rather... Hamas, in this case, means thievery. Ki ha'aretz Hamas mipnehem, for the earth is filled with robbery through them. Vihenini mashchisam es ha'aretz, and now I'm going to destroy the world. God says, that's it, I've had it. And the sages, of course, point to this a lot. And we're going to talk about this a lot today. Because we all want to know, like, is the world coming to an end? The amount of times that I've seen the, the word, the phrase, World War III, in the last week and a half has probably equaled the amount of times I've seen the, world, world, the words World War III in my, in my entire previous life. Right? We see a world that's rapidly devolving. We see a, we've got Iran, and we've got the Lebanon, and Syria, and Israel, and two carrier groups, and, 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 and Egypt, and we've got China right now going eyeing Taiwan. We've got our entire, pretty much our entire strategic petroleum reserves have been depleted. We don't have a lot of oil left over here because we've been depleting it to keep prices down while we've not been allowing people to drill over here. So we've got very, very historically low levels of, of fuel in case we ever need it. In case of a war, it's there for a war, but we don't have it right now. Uh, we have uh, obviously Russia at war with Ukraine. The, and, and, and all these characters, Russia and China and Israel and possibly Iran, these are all nuclear powers, right? These are all powers that, I mean, every one of those, for sure Israel and Iran, sorry, for sure Israel and China and Russia and the U.S. all have enough nuclear uh, armaments to destroy the entire world. We're talking about destroying, when we talk about a, a, a destruction, a mass destruction moment, there is enough armaments out there to do that. In, in previous history, no one had the ability to just wipe out the world. Nowadays, that, those tools are in human hands, and humans are not really good at controlling what they have. So, <clears throat> when we want to know, what can I do? So, we've talked previously about the Psalms that we should all be saying, and the various prayers that we should all be saying. We've talked about giving charity. Tzedakah tatsil mimaves, the verse tells us. Charity will save from death. We've talked about learning Torah. We've talked about a lot of things that we should do proactively. Learn more, give more, pray more. What about things that we should be doing less? So, when we look at the last time there was a mass extinction event for humanity, 
namely the great flood, which is what this, this week's Torah portion is about, the Torah tells us that what does God say? The world is filled with robbery, and now I'm going to destroy the world. Now, Rashi says, and he's pointing it to a source from the tractate, the Talmud tractate Sanhedrin, page 108a. For the world is filled with robbery. Despite all the terrible things they were doing, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, the straw wasn't there because it was stolen. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) What was the straw that broke the camel's back? Says Rashi, quoting the Gemara in Sanhedrin, it was thievery. In the Medrash Tanchuma, it says, Be exceedingly careful not to steal or rob anything from one from the other. Why? Because the final extinction event, that the first mass extinction event of humanity happened because the final straw that broke the camel's back was robbery. Now, the Ramban explains this. He says, look, you could make up almost any rationalization for committing all kinds of sexual immorality, which was going on at the time. Right? The Torah tells us that there was terrible immorality going on at the time. But you could say it's two consenting adults, you could say it's, you know, whatever, there was also cross-species interactions. You know, you, you, could, you could almost excuse that kind of thing. But when it comes to thievery, everyone knows, like instinctively you just know that it's wrong. Now, of course, we live in a generation where every normal human instinct, everything that was just so clearly obvious to all of humanity up until now, college professors will find a way to explain that it's not really. You know, the same way there's literally people going on explaining why 2 plus 2 does not necessarily equal 4. And if you don't think that's true, just Google 2 plus 2 doesn't, doesn't equal 4. And you'll find there's entire papers written about this. Like, you've got to, you, we've got to be living in some of humanity's most ridiculous moments. There are college papers being written that 2 plus 4 doesn't necessarily equal 4. It could equal 4. It could also equal 5. depends on your lived experience. So we are living in a time where our youth are being brainwashed with justifications for everything. And I'm sure some of you have seen the video, the horrific video, of a Cornell professor sitting in front of a large crowd talking about how he found the, the moment that the, he, the reports were coming in of the horrific attacks of the murderers the savages from Hamas coming in, and as the, the reports keep coming in, it just gets worse. The torture, it wasn't just that they killed people, it was the torture that they put them through. It's, just, it, it's wild. It's, it's, it's almost incomprehensible how deep the depths of human cruelty and, 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 and inhumanity go. And this man is sitting there, of course, a college professor, always depend on them to show the deepest levels of human stupidity, and he's sitting there talking about how it was exhilarating. It was an awesome moment. And if you weren't exhilarated, then you're not a human being. The the craziest thing. And now, of course, we have people talking about how stealing, it's not not stealing, it's it's justice. It's, It's reclaiming that which we lost to the colonizers. But the Ramban says that all normal human beings understand instinctively it is wrong to steal. Nobody wants to be stolen from, and therefore it's incredibly, the Ramban says, Nachmanides says, therefore it's exceedingly uh, disgusting to God. And that was, you don't need to warn people, say, hey, don't steal. Don't steal is instinctive. You know that it's wrong. And that's why Nachmanides says that was the final straw. And there's a statement in the the Vayikra Rabbah, on the Medrash, on the book of Leviticus, it says, Kupa Malaya Avonos. If a person has an entire basket filled with sins, Mimikatre Barosh Kulam, who gets to get up first? A person has a whole life of sins and a whole life of immoral behavior. What steps up first to give a prosecuting statement? Gazel. Thievery. And they said, when you steal, it's like, you're st- it's like you're killing somebody. Because we give our lives to earn money. 
Right? Meaning a person goes to work every day from 9 to 5 or from 8 to 6 or from 7 to 7 or whatever it is and he's working so hard to make money. And when you steal from him, you just stole his life. You, know, you think, okay, I just broke into his car to steal his luggage. Right? There are cities in America now that are putting out warnings don't, let's not crack down on, on thievery. Let's just tell everybody, don't ever leave your bags in your car. Because if you leave your bags in your car, of course they're going to be stolen. You're kind of asking for it. You left your suitcase in your car. Don't you expect to be robbed? Use common sense. Don't leave your bags in your car. Instead of use common sense, don't steal. In that bag, a person goes to visit San Francisco. And I, I, don't, I don't imagine they're getting as much tourism these days. I would never, ever want to go visit that city. But a person goes to visit San Francisco and he goes to check into the hotel and he leaves his car outside, for the, the rental car from the airport and he's got his bags. He just goes to check into the hotel or something and we, there's videos of this proliferating and then thieves come. They smash your windows. They steal your bags. Okay, so now you've got to pay for the broken windows because it was a rental car. You know, it's not necessarily covered by your insurance. So you've got to pay for the broken windows which today are probably $1,200 for a back window of a car and then you've got to pay for whatever you had in your suitcase, your clothing and your shoes and maybe you had some, some purses in there, whatever, whatever you had in there. So it's thousands of dollars of loss, right? Thousands of dollars of loss. And... Uh, that's time. How long did it take you to earn those thousands of dollars? I don't know. Let's say it took you a month to earn those thousands of dollars. Someone just stole a month of your life. Someone just stole a month of your life. So when you steal, it's, it's, it's like you're killing people, says the Medrash Rabbah. And it's even like you're serving idols. Right? It's like you're serving idols. Now, why is stealing like serving idols? And by the way, you know, I'm sitting here, everyone's like, yeah, we, none of us have ever broken into a window and taken a suitcase out. But maybe if you were a real estate agent and you showed a house and you knew there was problems with the foundation and the person came down to the basement and said, hey, is that a little bit weird? It's like, nah, whatever, it just happens over time. Boom, that's, that's, that's stealing. That's straight up stealing, right? There are many, many ways that a person could steal that are a lot more innocuous looking than smashing a guy's window open and pulling suitcases out. Why is that like, why is a real estate agent trying to sell a house and saying, ah, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, you just, you know, paint over, you see some black mold growing in the basement. Yeah, don't worry, you'll just put some, uh, some vinegar and water and you paint over it. It's not a big deal. Oh, it is a big deal. Why is that like serving an idol, though? Did that? And the answer, what? The answer is, when we serve an idol, what we're saying is there are other forces out there besides God that I need to turn to for my help. If I bow down to, I don't know, some Buddha or whatever it might be, I'm indicating that there's some other force there outside of God that's supposed to help me. When I steal, what am I saying? I'm saying this money can help me. I don't think that God will give me what I need, so I, I need to go to other forces to help me. So that's, that's literally worshipping another force. So, fascinating story. And, and the Masilzi Sharm says, the Masilzi Sharm, the path of the just, says, well, first of all, like this. The Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, says in Tractate Bavakama, page 119a, if you steal from a friend, even a shava pruta, like a nickel, it's like you're stealing a little bit of his life. And then Masil Sharm, the Path of Just, says, this is how serious this sin is, even in the smallest amounts. Now, there's a, we'll get to some stories in a moment. I, I, I want to point out, are we due for another flood? Are we due for another flood? Now again, God said there's not going to be another flood, but that doesn't rule out every other way of a cataclysmic event. Let's look at what's going on in the world right now. Let me read you a few articles. Hold on a second, please. New York Post article on July 1st, 2023. The stories are everywhere. Walmart store closures in Portland and Chicago. An epidemic of drugstore thefts in New York. 
In Baltimore, a landmark grocery store shuts its doors after nearly 25 years in a community desperate for fresh food. While in San Francisco, reports of big box chains abandoning its downtown have become near daily occurrences. The cause? Rampant, often organized, and seemingly consequenceless, consequenceless shoplifting. They say, but they have insurance. Indeed, the U.S. is deep in what many are calling an epidemic of thefts that cost retailers nearly $100 billion in 2021 alone. Now, of course, we're so used to hearing crazy numbers today that we can't really comprehend what $100 billion is, right? We really, we have no comprehension of money at this point because, you know, we just hear numbers all the time. I'll give an example. Hold on, let me make a bracha here. First of all, you know how you don't steal? You make a bracha on the food. You say thank you to the food, and then God says, okay, now it's yours, right? There's actually a, a, a Talmudic statement. The Talmud in Tractate Brachos says that on one, in one verse it says, La Hashem Haaretz Umloah. To Hashem is the earth and everything that's in it. There's another verse that says, Hashemayim Shemayim La Hashem. The heavens belong to God. Haaretz Nasan Levnei Haadam. And earth he gave to people. So which one is it? Is it La Hashem Ha'aretz Umloah? Does God own everything in the earth? Or Ha'aretz Nasan Levnei Adam? Or He gave the earth to people? And the Talmud answers, well, it depends. Before your blessing, it belongs to God. Once you bless it, God says, okay, now it's yours. So one of the easiest ways to make sure that we're not stealing anything is make sure to make brachos on the food that we eat. Because otherwise, this Coke Zero here belongs to God. Now God's looking like, He's like, don't put that Coke Zero on me. You know what kind of chemicals are in there? I don't want your Coke Zero. <laughs> But this Coke Zero here belongs to God, but when I make a bracha, he gives it to me. So this way I'm not stealing it. Hold on, here we go. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam shakol niyebed varo. Amen. As a matter of fact, I got a phone call from somebody, I'm trying to remember who it was, who said that they were very inspired because they were listening to one of my classes and they heard that amen that David Klein just said over there with such energy. And they said, I realized I need to get back into doing amen a little bit more seriously. So, yashar koach, David. You're inspiring people. <laughs> now, that was, um, we're nearly 100 billion. Again, we, we don't understand numbers. Here's a crazy number. In the last month, the U.S. national debt has risen by $650 billion. That means we're, our, our national debt is going up now at $22 billion a day. These numbers are insane. So we don't really understand numbers anymore. When we say $100 billion being stolen in 2021, by the way, it's only gotten worse because we're just not policing crime. So if that was in 2021, I'm, let's imagine thievery is going up by 10, 20% a year. By now, we're probably at you know, maybe $130 billion, whatever the number is, who knows? Right? $130 billion. That's $130,000 million. $130,000 million. $130,000 million. We can't even comprehend those. We have no idea the, 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 the vast depth of theft. Just today, I was having a conversation with some people, and we were talking about construction equipment. And they were saying that if you go on Facebook Marketplace, you can buy all kinds of construction equipment, pretty much brand new, for like, for nothing. You know, like a piece of construction equipment that usually costs 15 grand, you could buy it for 5 grand. But they said it's all hot. I said, what what does that mean, it's all hot? They said, well, what happens is people go to Home Depot, they use fake IDs and credit cards, stolen credit cards or whatever it is, they rent items, and they just send it to another state and they sell it. So you can buy all kinds of construction equipment today for really cheap. If you want to get a 65% discount on your construction equipment, just go to Facebook Marketplace and lots of people are trying to sell you all kinds of things. And we're, we're talking about expensive construction equipment, the kind that you need to rent by the day. because They steal from construction sites. They steal from construction sites, exactly. Okay, let's see more. How about corporations? Are they free? So that people are stealing from the corporations. How about the corporations? New York Times article... On January 14th, 2023, just how common is corporate fraud? A new study estimates that on average, 10% of public companies commit securities fraud each year. 10% of companies. So you see, there's, a, there's different indexes. Right? We've got the NASDAQ. We've got the New York Stock Exchange. We have this S&P 500. So 50 of them, S&P 500 companies, at least are committing securities fraud. The Russell 2000, at least 200 of these companies are committing securities fraud every single year. 
Next, this is an article from a food magazine. There's a food magazine called Eater, okay, for people who like to eat. Eater, okay? I, I, I don't subscribe to Eater, but I subscribe to a different magazine called Breather, for people who like to breathe. Anyway, the articles are not that fascinating. It's a pretty small article, sponsored by Oxygen. Anyway, so here's an article from June 15th, 2023. Why are customers stealing so much stuff from D.C. restaurants? From missing mugs to irreplaceable antiquities, petty bar thieves are taking it all. Next, an article from CBS on July 7th, 2023. What does the article say? California bill aiming to prevent retail theft faces strong opposition. <laughs> right? Now, Nachmanides tells us that the most simple calculation is that stealing is wrong. But yet, when you try to put out a bill in the state of California trying to prevent retail theft, you can't get it passed. Okay, now. What are some simple examples of petty theft? You ever notice when you go to the bank, sometimes the banks have, when you go to the, the I mean, who goes to the bank anymore? We just do it all online, but whatever. When you do go to the bank, they often have the little pen, and the pen is chained down to the counter. <laughs> Why is the pen, the pen chained down to the counter? It's not because they were just looking for, they had extra chains around. They're like, what can we do with these chains? Let's just chain the pens down to the counter. So you go to the bank, and you walk away with a pen. Oh, extra pen. Extra theft. Here's another example. You're at work, and you're taking personal phone calls. And then you see your boss coming in from the other side of the room. You're like, okay, i got to go now. Why do you got to go now? Oh, because you don't want your boss seeing you taking a personal phone call in the middle of work. Oh, no big deal. Big deal. Thievery. Listen to this amazing story. A man once came into the Chavetz Chaim, the great Rabbi Yisrael Mayor Hakohen Kagan, who lived in the early part of the 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he came to him and he asked for like a recommendation from the Chavetz Chaim. You know, people would often come to rabbis, can you give me a recommendation for this, for, for a post? I mean, they want to get me, hire me as a rabbi here, they want to hire me as a teacher, I need to collect money. So this person came to the Chavetz Chaim and he said, would you be willing to write me a recommendation? And the Chavetz Chaim said, yes. So he said, do you have any paper? And the Chavetz Chaim said, I don't have any paper. So he looks around and he sees a paper sitting on a table there. So he goes to grab the paper and the Chavetz Chaim says, that, that paper is yours. He said, no. He said, well, who does it belong to? He said, ah, I don't know. It's probably Hefker, right? Hefker means, like, the guy doesn't care about it. It's probably no big deal. He says, what do you mean? The Chavetz Chaim immediately gets up, starts walking around, asking people, is this your paper? Is this your paper? And everyone says, no, it's not my paper. So the man says to the Chavetz Chaim, it's no big deal. It's just it's a piece of paper. I'm sure the person doesn't mind. The Chavetz Chaim started to shake and to tremble. And he said, if I take this paper and I write you a recommendation, I'm, create, I'm committing an act of theft. And with that act of theft, I can create a, an angelic destructive force that can destroy the city of Warsaw. The Chavetz Chaim understood the power of thievery. Let me tell you, I'm going to just say a bunch of stories now, if you guys will permit, just to outline to you how the people who are closest to God, those who study His Torah all day, and by the way, what do we start off teaching children? It's fascinating. When children start learning Gemara, when children start learning Talmud in school, What's the first thing that they study? The first thing that they study is Tractate Bava Metziah, where it's, they, they learn a, a chapter called Elu Metziah Shalom. These are the things that, if you find them on the street, you can keep them. There's, there's entire laws about returning lost objects. Now, certain lost objects you're not required to retire, return. Certain lost objects you are required to return. So this entire tractate deals with, like, are you allowed to keep a nickel you found on the floor? Why is that the first thing we teach our children? Because the, before everything, we recognize Derech Eretz Kadma Torah. Human character comes before Torah. You can't put Torah in a tarnished vessel. You can't put Torah in a tarnished vessel. 
And that's why, before we start teaching them all the laws of Kriya Shema and all the laws of Kiddush and Shabbos and all those other laws, the first thing we start teaching them is if you find a nickel on the floor, are you allowed to keep it? Where did you find it? Was there other nickels there? There's a whole conversation about it. There was a, there's a rabbi who, uh, who lives in Israel, and his name is... Uh-oh, did I lose that sheet? Hold on a second. Got to find. I, I want to give proper attribution for this story. This is the um, what was the instruction that the children learned first? It's it, I said it's the tract. It's tracted Metzia, chapter two that deals with uh, the laws of um, the laws of of lost objects. If I'm not mistaken, I can't find the paper here. I can't find the paper here, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the story happened with Rev. David Abu Chatzera. In any case, what happened? He bought an apartment in Israel. Okay? Now, the way it works in Israel is when you buy an apartment, you, usually you're buying an apartment that's pre, uh, pre-construction, right? And like here in America, you really only buy things once they're finished, right? Um, but this is where in Israel you'll put, let's say, 20% down when they first start selling the building, and then at various steps throughout the construction of the building, they keep you know, billing you for more of the money. So they'll bill you when they finish X amount of construction, they'll bill you another 20%, an extra amount, and, then, and as it goes along. Now, Rav David Abu Chatzera, so he, he paid all of his payments exactly on time, and then the building was completed, and he was given the keys to the building. So one day, he calls up the... Kablan, the contractor who built the building. And he says, you know, I just received my key. I, I'd, I'd like to meet with you. So the contractor says, okay, Rabbi, for sure, I'll come to your house. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to come to you. And he walks all the way from where his neighborhood to Rechavia, where the, the contractor lived. And he knocks on the door and the, come on in, come on in, Rabbi, please, please come on in. So the Rabbi says to him, you know, I, uh, I just got the keys to my apartment. And he said, and I'd like to move in next week. And the man says, great, Rabbi, don't worry if there were some kind of mistakes. Is there a wall that's missing some paint? You know, a lot of times when a building comes and you finally move in, there's, there's a whole uh, punch list of items that still need to be taken care of. You know, many kablans are known for not doing the most diligent of work in the final stages of their apartments, to say the least. So... He says, Rabbi, don't worry. If there's any problem, if there's like a wall that's not fully painted, if there's a, you know, a closet door that wasn't hung properly, you, you just tell me whatever you need, and I'll take care of it. The Rabbi says, no, no, no. He says, that's not why I'm here. He says, I'd like to move in next week. And before I move in, I want to make sure that this thing has been 100% paid for so I want you to go over, maybe I asked you for an extra closet and I didn't pay for it. Maybe I asked you, maybe there was some kind of change order that I put in that I haven't fully paid for. I'd like you to please review your books and make sure that every single penny of this apartment has been paid for before I move in. And the, the man said, Rabbi, don't worry about it, it's fine. It's, no worry, you can move in, no problem. He said, no, 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 please, I really, I'm asking you, please to make sure. And that's why I came over here. I know I'm asking of you a task to do. Please, if you can please make sure that everything is fully paid up because I do not want to move into an apartment that even a penny of it has not been paid. And the man went over his books, and sure enough, the rabbi had paid it for it fully. And he said, thank you so much. And he left, and he moved in. This contractor said, in my entire life, I've sold thousands of apartments. And the amount of times people have stiffed me, and people have this, and made claims that I didn't do what I did. I've never in my entire life had anybody come to me and beg me to make sure that every single payment is paid for. There was a... In the times of the Arizal, in the times of the Arizal, this is going back 400 years, there was a wealthy man who came to visit the Arizal. And the Arizal looked at him and said, 
I can see thievery written on your forehead. The man said, what? He said, I'm sorry, sir, but I can see thievery written on your forehead. What do you mean? He says, I, 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 you know, of course, if he, if he was a regular Ghanif, always stealing from his workers, his suppliers, his vendors, his customers, he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, Rabbi, whatever. You know, everyone does it. That's what everyone does. Everyone does it, right, Rabbi? Which, by the way, unfortunately, the Talmud tells us. Rubam begazel, the majority of people steal. Again, not always by putting, as the Masilis Sharm says, most people don't put their hands into other people's pockets and take out money. Most people don't break the back windows of people's car and pull out luggage. Most people don't walk into Lululemon and walk out with handfuls of clothing. Most people don't go to Home Depot and rent equipment under a false name and ID and credit card and then go sell it in different states. Most people, thank God, still don't. However, there's so many ways that we could be stealing. You walked out of the bank with the bank's pen. You just stole from the bank. So, you go to a supermarket and they have good, they have good bags, right? Some supermarkets have cheap, cheap, flimsy plastic bags. Sometimes you go to a supermarket, they have good bags. You just take one extra bag. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Just a little bit of petty thievery. So the Arizal says to this, this very wealthy man, he says, I see thievery written on your forehead. So the man says, I'm so, I, don't, I, don't, I, can't, I cannot imagine. I really, I, I try to conduct all my business endeavors with absolute honesty. But I'll, I'm going to go back and I'm going to investigate. This man went back to his factory and he took out a large bag of cash. And he called all of his employees and he throws the bag of cash down on the table and he says, if there's anybody here who feels like I did not pay you what you were owed or somehow I'm, you have a grievance that you feel like something you, you didn't get what you were supposed to get, please take whatever, whatever it is. No one moves. Everyone's like, no man, no boss, you're, you're, you're awesome, you're honest. Guys, there's got to be something here. If there's anybody here who feels that I've taken anything of theirs, please, please, I beg you, step forward and take it. There's a shuffling in the back of the crowd. And this woman comes forward. She was a widow. And she worked for the company. And she comes and she takes like the equivalent of like 75 cents. She said, on one of my paychecks, there was an error, and I was too embarrassed to come to you to ask for it, because it's like 75 cents, but I was, I was shortchanged. And that was enough that when this man came into the Arizal, the Arizal says, I see thievery written on your forehead. The levels of carefulness that we have to have with our things. Listen to this story. There was a, uh, about 55 years ago, there was a, a shoemaker who lived in Israel. And the Chazon Ish, who was a great, great rabbi, he used to always show this man, the simple shoemaker, the greatest of deference. And people all, all wondered, like, who is this shoemaker? And why does the Chazon Ish, the greatest sage in Israel, why does he show this man such deference? Maybe he's one of the hidden tzaddikim. You know, there's a concept that there's 36 hidden tzaddikim that hold up every generation. You know? I've applied already five times, and I've been rejected every time. <laughs> And that's it. I'm done. Because you only can apply five times. After that, you're, you're not allowed to apply, apply anymore. So, you're gonna, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> if you want to know where to apply, go to 36hiddensadikim.org <laughs> and fill out the application. <laughs> In any case, so people think this, this shoemaker, he must be that late at night, he, he, he looks like a simple shoemaker, but really, late at night, when everyone goes to bed, he's busting out the Kabbalistic works, and he's like ascending to the heights, and he's, you know, he's whatever, you know, whatever, whatever he's doing. So people were like, used to follow him, people were trying to check out, and there was nothing there, like, they didn't see, so finally they went to the Chazonish, they said, I don't understand, why do you treat this man like he's one, like, the Chazonish would literally treat this man like he was one of the greatest tzaddikim of the generation, he said, why do you treat him with such awe and deference? Like, is there something that we're missing? 
And the Chazanish said no. He said the one thing about this man is his absolute, absolute, pristine business practices. He is so careful on every little thing that he says and how he describes a price to a customer and what he's going to do and he'll do the work over if you bring it back. His honesty in business is so insanely high that it is at the level of great Torah scholarship. That's what the Chazanish had to see. It was just a person who was just insanely honest in his business. The Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was a great rabbi and he first came to America to collect funds and uh, in those days, it's amazing. Today, people go to Eretz, they come, they come from Eretz Yisrael, they fly here, they're here for three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, they go back to Israel. In those days, when you came to collect funds, you were often here for literally years. Like, it's wild, it's wild to understand that. But in those days, you came over on a boat from Europe, you know what I'm saying? It, it, people sometimes came and they were collecting money for an organization and they would stay here for a couple years. So he started, he started working as a Rosh Kolel. He was the head of a sort of a Torah learning institute. That was his job to support himself while he was raising money for the yeshiva back in Europe. And part of the job of being the head of the kolo is you have to raise funds for the kolo. That's, you know, you gotta, besides supporting the yeshiva, you're supporting back at home. If you're the head of a kolo, you've got to support the Torah institution. So he had to go out. So the heads, you know, the, the, the administrative office, they said, here, when you go out to, um, when you go out to collect, here are receipts from previous years. This way you can go to various rich men. You can say, oh, you know, last year you gave $180. Last year you gave $1,000. Last year you gave, you know, $360. You know, maybe you can give the same. Maybe you'd like to give a little bit more. Okay, fine. So Yaakov Kamenetsky goes to a town, and he goes to this town specifically. It was a smaller town, but it had a, a rich Jew who lived there who had been a donor previously. And he comes to the donor and he meets with him, and the donor welcomes him warmly, and he thanks him so much for his previous support. And then he, he, he says to him, here is your receipt from last year. You know, I wasn't here last year. Here's the receipt from last year. Do you want to maybe give the same donation? Do you want to maybe give a, uh, an increase? So the man looks at the receipt, and he says, something doesn't feel right. This seems too high. Seems too high. So then he goes out, the rich guy goes out to his books, and he pulls out his checkbook from last year with the receipts on the side and he sees <coughs> that they added a zero, meaning if he had given $180 the year before they wrote they, they added a zero onto the receipt so it looks like he gave $1,800 so when he says, oh I gave $1,800, I'll give $1,800 this year so Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky started trembling and he said I'm done, I'm not I'm, I'm, I, I have effectively immediately severed all ties with this organization and the rich man said, okay, let me at least cover your uh, train ticket to get here. He says, no, I will not take any money uh, for me being involved with a corrupt organization. And by the way, this thing's happened to me multiple times. I have people come to my house and they show me a photocopy of a check. And they say, oh, last year you gave 180 Now, there have been times that I've given $180 checks, but I have certain specific rules. I know who I give to and what I give, whatever. Like, I have... And I know that they just bought that check. It's fraudulent, unfortunately. And I'm, you know, the Talmud actually says that it's a good thing there are some fraudulent money collectors. Why? Because if not, if every single person collecting money from you was actually 100% legitimate, we would be held to task. So seriously, why didn't you give more? You know that the need is so real, how could you have not given more? So the fact that there are some fraudulent collectors is a good thing, because if you didn't give as much as you should have given, you have almost like an excuse. Well, I thought I didn't know for sure if he was legitimate. But otherwise, you'd have to give much more. How could you not give? If everyone was, if everyone was 100% legitimate, how could you have not given more? But I, I've experienced it in my own home. People come to me and they show me, oh, last year you gave this. Now, of course, here in Detroit, all of the Stucca checks are written through one clearing organization. So it's not like I'm writing it to this person's name. or that. It goes to a Stucca organization that clears it through. And I know for a fact I did not give this person $180 in that last year. They show it to me. 
But Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, as soon as he found out that the people in his office did something that was not 100%, he was effectively done. My job, it was his job. That was how, that was how he was supporting himself, as working as the head of that call. He was done. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was once walking after the war in New York, and he chanced upon, he was walking on Friday night with some of his students, and they were talking in Torah, and Rav Yoel of Satmar, Rav Yoel Teitelbaum, the, the Satmar, the Satmar Rav was also walking, and they chanced upon each other, so they started talking to each other, and at one point, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says to the Satmar Rav, tell me, in what merit did you get saved from the war? So Rav Yoel thinks, and he says, I think it's because I never changed into pajamas and went to bed. I just stayed up until I just stayed up learning Torah until I fell asleep on my on my book. Which, by the way, is what the, the Torah tells us about Yaakov Avinu, the great our great forefather Jacob. That when for fourteen years he went to learn in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever, he never went to the dorm, so to speak. He just studied until he lost. You know, he just fell asleep because he had no more energy. So then Rav Yol of, of Satmar says to Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, in what merit do you think you survived the war? <laughs> Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky thinks for a moment and says, maybe because from the day that I became from the time that I achieved intellectual maturity, I never said anything, nothing ever came out of my mouth that was not true. Unbelievable. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, what do we see? We see that the the last great human extinction event was caused by Hamas. Not the terrorist organization, the terrorist behavior of thievery. And as Nachmanides explains, it goes against every basic human principle. You do not take what, that which is not yours. So if we want to stop the next great... Catac- you know, <laughs> you're seeing World War III pop up as common talk all the time now. It, we talked about all the things that we should do. Learn more Torah. Pray more. Give more charity. Another thing that we really, really, really should be focusing on is making sure that our books are 1,000% clean. That our books are 1,000% clean. And again, it, it, it could be, the, the things could be so minute. The ways that a person could buy mistakes, again, the, the, the Talmud says most people steal. And again, most people are not trying to steal. But there's so many little things that a person could do. If you park in someone else's parking space, but you're just running in real quick, but that's a parking space that he rents, and it says, no parking, this space, this space belongs to so-and-so. But it's late at night, he's probably not coming right now. It's, it's not your spot. You don't have the right to park there. But it's late at night, he's not going So many little things, so many little, little things that we have to be careful for. I want to point out another important component. Let's talk about veganism for a moment. Okay? Have any vegans in the crowd? Okay, good. And if you're watching this and you're vegan, be careful. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Adam and Eve were vegan, right? God did not give them permission to eat meat. It was only after the great flood that God says to Adam that he has permission to eat meat. And this is in Genesis... Sorry, Noah, sorry. Only after Noah came out of the ark that God gave him permission to eat meat. This is found in chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, Beratius Paractes. So it's just like this. I'll just read it in English. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Right? You just came out of the Teva. The entire humanity has been wiped out. Now we've got to refill, repopulate mankind. And by the way, how fascinating is it that we live in a time where we're seeing pre-flood activity, and we're also seeing a rapid decline in, in childbirth all over the civilized world, so to speak, all over the first world countries. Many countries are so way below replacement rate. 
Anyway, continues. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and everything that moves on earth and in all the fish of the sea in your hands they are given. Here's the key word. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Like the green herbage, I have given you everything. Before, I only allowed you to eat the green herbage. I only allowed you to eat that which grew out of the ground. But now, I'm going to allow you to eat even animals. Now, speak to any ethical, speak to any like Jewish ethical vegan, right? Meaning there are, there are two kinds of vegans. There's vegans who do it for health reasons. My doctor said I got cholesterol, whatever it might be, fine. But then there's also the ethical vegans who say, I don't believe it's morally right. Or as one time someone was on a plane and he saw that there was a religious Jew next to him and he got a, a kosher meal and it had meat in it. And he said, huh, you consider yourself moral? I don't eat other animals. And the person looked back at him and says, why not? Other animals do. <laughs> Meaning, if you think you're an animal and you don't want to eat other animals, other animals eat other animals. Do you ever see the bear sitting there pawing like salmon out of the river in Alaska, trying to fatten up so he can hibernate for the winter? And he's like, wait a second, maybe I should do tofu this year. <laughs> I don't feel so appropriate about this. You know, just, maybe, maybe just, right, the tofurkey, you know what I'm saying? Maybe <laughs> tofu salmon. <laughs> It's coming to your, coming to your door. Coming to your Whole Foods any, anytime soon. Right, so he says, he says, like, he says, I don't eat other, other animals. So you're saying you think you're like an animal, and therefore you don't want to eat other animals, but other animals have no compunctions about eating other animals. So what, 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 where, where's your high moral-mindedness? But almost any person who's an ethical vegan will be sure to tell you, and I've heard this multiple times, do you know, Rabbi that Adam and Eve were vegans. When God created the world, they were supposed to be vegans. Only after the flood did mankind degrade and God said, okay, you can eat meat now, but I want to be more moral. So let me explain the quick response to that idea. Why did God allow Noah and his children to eat the animals? So the simplest explanation is that because you saved all the animals, you now, so to speak, have a right to take a bite. Right? <laughs> In that case, please don't save my children. Let somebody else save my children. No. <laughs> um, but what some of the sages tell us is like this. Before the generation of the flood, before the flood, humanity had become absolutely immoral. And they did whatever they wanted. Part of the justification for that was we're just, we're just creatures. We're not moral beings. We're just creatures. And just like the lion lives with whoever he wants to live, and the, you look out in nature, and many animals, not all, there are certain animals that you know, mate for life, but there are many animals that are promiscuous. So we're, just, we're animals. We're just other animals. Just like I don't eat other animals, we're other animals. When humans compare themselves to animals and say we're no greater than any other animal out there, it is almost never to elevate animals, it's almost always to bring down humans. When you think you're like an animal, then you think you have the license to act like an animal. The people before the flood were acting like animals. They were taking whatever... Again, Humans, Nachmanides says, have the moral understanding that thievery is wrong. Animals don't. You know, a squirrel grabs an acorn. And you see, like, the little brown squirrel here <laughs> grabs an acorn. It's not that big black... You know, like there's, here in Michigan, I, I never even saw the black squirrel until I came here to Michigan. But evidently, there are more ferocious species. So you see the, the little chestnut-colored uh, squirrel. He grabs a little uh, uh, acorn. And then suddenly, the big one comes in, and they start... Like, I don't know what's going on there. They just... just but suddenly, whatever, the, 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 the little one drops the acorn and runs off, and the, the bigger one takes the, you know. I'm trying to remember. There was, there was a picture I saw one time. It was, like, it was like a bird that had in its mouth another bird that had in its mouth a fish. <laughs> you know, so in the animal kingdom, there is no feelings of, like, 
thievery or moral, you know, oh, that's his food. No, it's like they see food, they take it. They got no problem. They, they, are, they are incredibly, when it comes to the, their, their promiscuous behavior, they have no compunctions about mating with as many and as frequent. They have no, no compunctions about that. Humanity was acting like animals. And God says, you know what? Maybe it's time for humans to start eating animals to understand you are above them in the food chain. One is not like the other. You are not an otter. You are not a lion. You are not a hawk. You are a human. You're one step above them. You have to act differently. The more, and I see this all the time, you see these bumper stickers, my child has paws. No. (laughs) You're lonely. My child has paws. And you see this all the time. Like, it, it, this incredible identification with animals is not something that lifts up humans. Sorry, that lifts up animals. It's something that brings down humans. So when God says to Adam and to Noah and his family after they get out of the ark, you know what? It's time for you to start eating cow. It's because God says, your biggest mistake was that you thought, well, the reason why God said you can't eat animals, you must be all on the same level, so therefore don't eat like, just the same way we don't eat humans, we don't eat humans on our level, right? So we understand, like, you don't want to eat the same people in the vertical as you. You eat, you know, below you on the food chain. You thought that you were like animals. So let, let's, let's get this cleared up right now. You are not a animal, and you can eat an animal. You're, you're above them. You should be acting differently from them as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, before you go and have yourself a massive steak... <laughs> make sure that steak isn't stolen and we should be pretty okay so again let's remember guys that during this time while we do more more prayers more charity more Torah study let's also make sure to be exceedingly careful with what we have in our hands what we have in our accounts with how we conduct ourselves with making sure that even inadvertently we God forbid don't have a sticky finger that picks up something that doesn't belong to us and in that merit Hashem should not just hold off from another mass human extinction, but rather, au contraire, Hashem should bring a mass human salvation, and we should see the Mashiach coming rapidly in our days. Thank you for coming, thank you for listening, and thank you for being awesome. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.